0: And all four of you, come on down. You're the first contestants on The New Price is Right. For all of human history, people have been trying to get rich quick. But there's another way of building wealth, and it's way, way better. And yes, the answer is found in here. In this series, we'll be exploring the intersection of money and faith, and learning how to devote our lives to the mission of Jesus Christ. So let's come together as a church and learn how to get rich. Well, welcome through Three Crosses. My name is Buzz and I'm one of the pastors here. And I'm grateful that you came out today to learn, in fact, how to get rich. That's what it's all about, isn't it? Like, I love that video in The Price is Right, and I was talking to Pastor Rob, our student ministries pastor, earlier this week, and we kinda decided if you wanna get rich on a game show, you should go on Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? If you're looking for money, that's the show that gives away, I think, the most money for the lowest level of question. But if you wanna get rich in terms of fame, prestige, being known for like a great trivia person, don't go on Millionaire, go on Jeopardy. You can't win as much money, but people will be like, that guy gets it, he's really smart. He can win Jeopardy. I love game shows. They make me miss my grandma uh, watching TV with her. I would skip school sometimes and watch uh, Price is Right. And we'd come home after school and we'd watch Jeopardy. You know, because being rich, how to get rich, being rich in a sense is having a lot of what you value the most, isn't it? And for some of us, that's time with family. For some of us, that's money. For some of us, that's different things. And so last week, Danny opened up the Gospel of Luke, and we talked about that financial side of being rich. And if you didn't get that message, you should go back on our YouTube channel and check it out, because I thought Danny did a great job at laying out how finances can actually hinder us from entering into the kingdom of God. You know, this week, we're not going to talk so much about finances. We're going to talk about a different type of capital. Capital is of course an accumulation of some substance or authority that you can then spend and use to uh, gain something else. And so today we're gonna talk about social capital. You guys heard this term? This is the idea that you can have relationships which you can leverage towards an end, or that you can know somebody who can get you some sort of benefit. Maybe you've heard the saying, it's not what you know, but it's who you know, that's right. And so when we look in the scriptures today, we're gonna see who should we know. Who gives us the greatest benefit for being in relation with them? Or maybe, asked a bit of a different way, if you could have dinner with anyone, who would you choose? If you could have dinner with anyone, who would you choose? If you're watching with us online, welcome. Throw it in the chat. Tell me. And if you're here in the room with me, yell it out. And there's like an 80% chance I can hear you, but I'll make it up if I can't hear you clearly. Who would you choose? Jesus okay so if you google it that's the number one answer great job so you're on your way to being a jeopardy victor congratulations Uh, and so actually we're going to look at Luke chapter 14 today and we're going to see what in fact happens when you have dinner with Jesus and man it might not be what you expect when you invite Jesus into your party he tends to take over and do things his way who else would we want to have dinner with if not Jesus I know it's like now I'm going to pick this other person instead of Jesus but go ahead just throw it out at me me? No, pick different, dude. Aim higher or lower. I don't know. Warren Buffett. Warren Buffett all right. I heard about him and he, uh, he knows how to invest. He knows how to build wealth. What could one hour with Warren Buffett do to your stock portfolio? Man, that'd be amazing. Maybe he'd even give you, maybe he'd even pick up the check. I don't know. Who else would we want to have dinner with? Maybe one more. Who was that over here? Socrates. You are talking about the soccer player from Brazil in the 70s? Or are you talking about the Greek philosopher Socrates? Both amazing, you're probably talking about the philosopher. What wisdom could he impart with just one hour with this great thinker? In fact, Socrates is in most people's top 10 list. I Googled a little bit of some of the common answers and uh, surprising number two was Princess Diana. And uh, you know, of course, taken from us too soon, but I think Diana sits in a certain way of like that commoner become royalty. And we would love to become royalty. How could I be the king? How could I be the queen? Diana almost kind of showed us the way to get there. What could she teach us about what it was like to have a foot in both of those worlds? Of course, her tragic, untimely death has made us grieve her. Uh, Sir Isaac Newton is another common answer, kind of in the Socrates' line of thinking. I'd love to understand what it is to invent a revolutionary idea, to discover a concept like gravity, which led to things like relativity, which led to the scientific revolution, all from an apple falling on your head, as the children's storybook told me. Other answers are Yuri Gagarin, one of the first cosmonauts, or Daniel Day-Lewis, who's kind of known for his craft of acting. What's it like to be in Hollywood, but really a master of your craft? People would want to know. One hour with Daniel Day-Lewis. Could it change your life? Or maybe we want people on top of our field. Uh, billionaires, trillionaires, like the Warren Buffett kind of a thing. Elon Musk. What could you learn about being a CEO with just one hour with him? What about Richard Branson or, or, a, or a Steve Jobs? What could you learn about entrepreneurship in just one hour or for somebody in my field in the field of ministry what could I learn from one hour with a guy like Eugene Peterson how could I learn to pastor like him what could I get in just one hour man so when we think about who would we invite to dinner we're always thinking about who can I learn from who can I glean from what can I get you know but Jesus looks at relationships a bit differently than we do doesn't he You know, when you're looking at throwing that dinner party, inviting people to dinner, how many of us thought, I'd love to invite somebody who's really hungry and doesn't know where their next meal is coming from. I'd like to give them the blessing of a seat at my table. Man, that wasn't our first answer, was it? We looked at who can we get from, who can we learn from, who can we attach ourselves to so that we can have that visibility, that notoriety, that fame, that social capital. How can I invite somebody who can help me increase that. So if being rich is having lots of what you value most, what does Jesus have to say to those of us who value relationships, notoriety, fame, advancement, and success? To those of us who are social climbers, what does our Lord Jesus say? You know, too often we look at relationships transactionally. You know this word transactional, it means that like you give me something and I give you something in return, almost like a bargain or a deal. And this is what we're all talking about when we invite people to dinner. What can I get out of you wisdom? What can we give them in return? I don't know. Maybe they'll just give us our wisdom for free. This is, of course, a theoretical question. Who would you invite to dinner? But we do this transactional relationship stuff all the time in our daily lives, don't we? For those of us who are thinking about going to college, what college do you want to go to? The one with the faculty and the alumni and the student life that is as prestigious as possible so that when you come away with your diploma that has your institution's name on it, you're marked out by them as this kind of a quality person. right? Ivy League, that means something. Stanford, Cal, that means something. The most prestigious college you can because of the association. Or what about when you're in high school and you choose to eat lunch, who do you sit with? The cool kids table? Trying to get there? Or do you make space for people in need? Or what conferences do you go to? What award ceremonies do you attend? What are you trying to get out of your relationships? This is not a theoretical dinner party. This is something we deal with all the time. Who do you spend your time with? Who do you invest in? Who do you receive from? How do you accumulate and steward forward your social capital? You know, Jesus was invited to these sort of dinner parties as well. And uh, often, these parties happened on the Sabbath, which was a day of the week set aside, of course, for rest, worship, restoration, and a focus on relationship. In Luke 14, that we're gonna turn to in a second, we see that a Pharisee, a teacher of the law, and so often one of Jesus' opponents or adversaries or somebody who doesn't quite see the world the same way Jesus does, invites Jesus to his dinner party. He answered, number one, who would you want to bring to dinner? Jesus, and he made it happen. And I wonder what his goal was, his hope, his aim in inviting Jesus into this party. I wonder sometimes if, number one, it was they wanted the prestige from associating themselves with him. Like, if you can land Jesus to your birthday party, you must have some party. Great job, you know? There's a prestige by adding to your guest list. I wonder if, number two, the Pharisees and teachers of the law wanted to look at Jesus as a potential ally, somebody who may not see the world quite the same way they did, but if by a dinner and a conversation and inviting him into their world, they could almost form that alliance with him and boost their own social capital in that system. I wonder if, number three, they wanted... To impress Jesus with how wise they were or how wealthy they were or how great their meal was and therefore in turn impress their other guests. Because if you can impress Jesus with your lifestyle, man, that's impressive indeed. Social capital, in a sense then, is a trickle-down economics. So what was it, I wonder, that caused this guy to invite Jesus to his party? Let's look at Luke 14 and see how it turned out. We'll start in verse 1. It says that one Sabbath, when Jesus went to eat in the house of a prominent Pharisee, he was being carefully watched. There in front of him was a man suffering from abnormal swelling of his body. And Jesus asked the Pharisees and the experts in the law, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. And so taking hold of the man, he healed him and sent him on his way. All right, we'll pause there. So we see here in verse one that whatever their aim, it seems like they're, they're watching him closely and they're hoping, but they fall short of impressing him because Jesus asked a fairly simple question or what seems like a straightforward question and yet they can't answer it, can they? He asked them, is it right to heal on the Sabbath? And, and I feel like there's a deeper layer that Jesus is driving at here. So yeah, is it lawful to heal? But really what he's asking at that deeper level is how should we treat the broken and the hurting and the needy amongst us? How do they deserve to be treated? On this, the Sabbath day, set aside for rest and worship and restoration of relationships, how should I treat this person who is hurting and in need? You know, at most dinner parties, how we treat the hurting and lost and broken isn't really our subject. We wanna talk about how do I get access to the top? How do I build my portfolio or my business or my family or my wealth or my prestige? Jesus is aiming differently at people hurting and in need. And so the Sabbath, set aside for the restoration of people at the end of the week, had become a kind of a way that the Pharisees and keepers of the law raised barriers between themselves and the hurting people in their community. It was a way to build walls between those who saw themselves as the in-group and those whom they wished to keep out. You know, this in and this out is a critical dynamic, I think, in terms of social capital because social clubs and social status really only works if it's limited. You know, think about like a country club. If anybody could join a country club, what's the point of the country club? The point of it is that it only belongs to a few. That's the point, is the scarcity, Think about these colleges we were just talking about. They only let in a few, whether it's who can pay the tuition money-wise, who can get the grades academic-wise, who has the resume achievement-wise, we only want a few. And that's how we keep our prestige high as an academic institution. Think about your friend group at the high school, the the head table of the so-called popular kids. It only matters if there's a few of them. If everybody could be popular, then really nobody's popular in this way of thinking. I even thought about Facebook at its founding. You guys heard about Facebook? It's gonna be big. If you're watching this 15 years ago, buy some stock, right? It started out at Harvard, and you had to have a harvard.edu address to join. Very exclusive. And then it flowed out to where you could have any EDU address, meaning you're enrolled or worked at a college. That's when I joined. I was an early adopter. Oru.edu email slid in on Facebook near to the ground floor. But now, anybody can join Facebook. And do you know what college kids think about Facebook today? They don't want it. (laughs) It's not exclusive, it's not for a group like them. We want a social network with people, but we want it with the right kind of people, we think. And so that exclusivity becomes the thing that really, really matters. So if wealth is having a lot of what you value most, maybe it's exclusivity and social capital. Is that what we should be chasing? And so Jesus looks at this man and he says, is it lawful to heal this kind of a person on the Sabbath? But really, is it right to keep this kind of a person out on the Sabbath? On the Lord's day, are we right to use this man to primarily draw distance between us and them? Is that what the Sabbath is about? Of course not, of course not. According to Jesus, we do it all wrong, all wrong. Our social capital, we've aimed the wrong way. He's gonna explain to us his own view of how in and out and how prestige works. And notice the dynamics or the trajectories or, or who's moving up and who's moving down. When he says in verse seven, when he noticed how the guests picked the places of honor at the table, he told them this parable. When someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor, for a person more distinguished than you may have been invited, and and if so, the host who invited both of you will come and say to you, give this person your seat. Then, humiliated, you will have to take the least important place. But instead, when you're invited, take the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he will say to you, friend, move up to a better place. Then you will be honored in the presence of all of the other guests, for all of those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. All right, we'll pause there, because at first, this parable almost feels un-Jesus-like, doesn't it? Or at least it did to me when I read it, because is it really the goal of Jesus' teaching to tell you how to ascend to the head of a table at an elite social club? It feels like a little bit backwards. It feels like what we would want to do, not what Jesus would want us to do. It's almost like he's saying, you're, you're playing this game of social clubs, and you shouldn't be playing that game, but even so, you're playing it badly, because if you try to get at the head too soon, you're just going to tumble down the ladder. And that's how social capital works, isn't it? As soon as you run out of something to contribute, you're just thrown away. You know, I think about the great novel, The, the Great Gatsby, as a, as, a, as a time of this, and I remember the first time in my life that I was thrown away because my wealth had run out. I was eight years old at Big Cheese Pizza. Right? This, was a big, this was big because our family didn't go out to eat that much. And when we did, we went to Big Cheese and we never played the arcades because my parents knew that that was a waste. But today I had almost infinity dollars, two dollars of coins in my pocket right? that I could use to play arcades. And when you're eight years old, what do you play at the arcades? Correct. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2. So I went over there and I played, and then another kid who I didn't know came up and he had a quarter from his mom and he played. And it's better to play with two because uh, you can defeat the levels more easily. It's not so lonely, right? This was my social club, a club of two, very prestigious. And then he died, he wasn't that good. Don't tell him I said so. He died and then I had to give him another coin and kept playing and then we kept advancing and kept playing and I was feeding him quarters until my $2 ran out. Guess what happened to him? He's gone. I've never seen him again. If you're here today, I don't, like, really hold it against you, but, like, where did you go, man? Like, my money ran out, and my social club dissolved, and there I was, and Shredder remained undefeated. It was terrible. As soon as your money, your prestige runs out, you move down the ladder. That's what Jesus is saying. If you think you're high, man, you look out. You're going to be on the way down before you know it. Humiliated, you'll be humbled. Whoever exalts themselves will be humbled. That's just the way the world works. So he gives us a solution here in the next few verses. And he says we're blessed when we invite a certain kind of person to the banquet because they can't even reciprocate. They can't invite us back. If we give without looking to get, that's blessed in Jesus' world. So let me read it here for you in verse 12. He says, when you give a dinner or a banquet, don't invite your friends, don't invite your brothers or your relatives or your rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you get repaid. But when you give a feast invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind. And you'll be blessed because they cannot repay you. You'll be repaid at the resurrection of the just. So here Jesus shows us that it's it's blessed in a way to give without getting back. That idea of reciprocity, I give to you, you give to me, this social capital climbing, it runs out. It's blessed to give without hope of receiving. It almost seems as if Jesus is leaving it here, that the blessed ones are the ones who end up invited to the top, right? And that's what causes a observer at this dinner, one of the attendants, to exclaim what I think is a key verse, not only in this chapter, but really in the Gospel of Luke altogether. It's verse 15, and he says, Blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. Blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. And by this, I think the speaker means social capital. Blessed is the one who is prestigious enough that Jesus invites them to the top of the table, shrewd enough to not get invited down the food chain. Blessed is that person, I think this person thinks. I think he's right, sort of, but he's wrong, really, in how Jesus views the social dynamic in this world. This is called irony. I love it when we find irony in the Gospels. Somebody's saying something and getting the truth half right, but the truth is actually the opposite of what you would expect. You guys heard about irony? It's like the guy's at the the dinner table and he has 10,000 spoons, but all he needs is a knife. And if you grew up when I did, you know what I'm talking about. But this guy saw that the goal of life was to be blessed by Jesus and eat at his feast in the kingdom, but what he was exactly wrong about is who was invited to that table and who really was blessed to eat at that table. And that's why Jesus hits us with another parable to show us what does it mean to be blessed according to Jesus? Jesus. Not to be the right-hand prestigious person, but to be invited altogether. Is the goal of the kingdom to keep it exclusive? Making sure we have enough barriers to keep the right crowd in and therefore valuable and the wrong crowd out? Is that what being blessed means to Jesus? Or where does Jesus find true social capital? This banquet thrown by the Lord. Jesus goes on in Luke 14 to tell us a second parable of a great banquet, a wedding feast. And he says he was throwing a banquet for his daughter and he wanted to invite everybody you should invite, his friends, his neighbors, his family, those peers, society-wise, And so his servant goes out and he extends the invitations. And I don't know if you've ever planned a wedding or a big uh, kind of a party that you're throwing, Uh, but it's a big undertaking. And who's on the guest list is a big deal. And I don't want to give you a window into my life 16 years ago, but it's the subject of some inter-family tension and dynamics, right? Who makes the list? My family, your family, my friends, your friends? We really want to pay 50 bucks to have that person at our wedding? Like, I don't know, man. Maybe we need to make a couple of cuts. We can invite this person that lives super far away. They're probably not going to come, you know? this is just how guest lists work. And this is how the guest list worked for this banquet master. So he threw the party, invited the people he should, but yet there were some excuses made along the way. Look here at verse 18. The, the guy who was invited, he said, I just bought a field. Please excuse me from coming. He was more worried about his field than the wedding feast that this guy was throwing. And this is an excuse, I think, of wealth and success. He had too much to do in his wealth management side of his life to attend the wedding supper. Please excuse me. Look at verse 19, the second excuse. I just bought some oxen. I need to try them out. This is an excuse of busyness and productivity, of working hard. He was working so hard at some good things that he missed the wedding supper of the lamb. Please excuse me. just bought a field please excuse me I just bought these oxen I need to try them please excuse me and then excuse number three is maybe the most puzzling in verse 20 he says I just got married please excuse me from coming that seems like a good reason to miss another wedding you have your own but I think Jesus is showing us this contrast that if we think my community or my needs or my people are more important than the people who Jesus values we've got it exactly wrong we've got it backwards if we value anything over his kingdom we're gonna miss it we're gonna miss it and so These excuses were made, wealth or busyness or community, but there was still space in the banquet. And so what does the Lord of the banquet do? He says, go to the servant and invite those same people Jesus told us to earlier in the chapter, invite the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame. And they came to this wedding supper. All can come in. Everyone can make it. But there was still space. And so look at what happens in verse 22. Sir, the servant said, what you ordered had been done, but there is still room. So then the master told his servant, go out into the roads, into the country lanes, and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. I tell you the truth, not even one of those who was invited will get a taste of my banquet. I love verse 23, my house should be full. My house should be full. This is what Jesus tells us the kingdom is like. It's like a full house. Not an exclusive guest list, but a full house. You know, sometimes when you get those RSCPs at your wedding of somebody dropping out, you figure out who's next on the list and you invite them, right? We just have kind of a set amount and we want to keep our number around 200 so we'll keep inviting people, right? Or something that happened to Tara and I at our wedding is uh, my mother-in-law, who I love dearly, uh, went to Safeway, of all places, and saw some old friends of Tara's from high school and invited them to come to our wedding. And I was like, I don't want these people at my wedding. I think they had a crush on Tara in high school. Why don't you get to come to my wedding? I gotta pay $50 to get this guy to, like, give me the eyeball when I'm getting married. I don't even know who he is. I don't want this guy at my wedding. I gotta tell the caterer, set two more places. I gotta adjust the seating chart, which has been beautifully calligraphied, and get these people at my wedding. Like, I don't want these people at my wedding. <sighs> I want the right kind of people at my wedding. Man, they showed up. They're on all my pictures. Um, you know, but that's kind of wrong. I think Cher's uncle actually had it right when he planned Sonia's wedding, Cher's cousin. I'm sure Sonia had a vote in this too, but Sonia wanted a big room, a huge venue, and she wanted everybody to come. Right, so Uncle Lowell and Auntie Judy, they get out the guest list and they're like, I'm gonna invite family, I'm gonna invite friends, I'm gonna invite coworkers, like peers. And they get the guest list and there's still space. So then they invite like other friends and friends of friends and second layer relatives. And then there's still space. So then they invite like relatives you might have seen on a family tree sheet somewhere. You know, just keeping extending the the lane And There's still space. So Uncle Lowell's like, I already paid for all these seats. I already paid for all this food. I'm going to fill it up. So he went down to Mel's Diner, where he loved to eat lunch, and he invited the cooks, and he invited the waitresses, and he invited the hostesses, and he invited the people who sit at the counter and have coffee every day. Come out to the wedding. He invited his carpet installers. He invited his employees. He invited everybody he knew. Come out to the wedding. We need a full house. Man, and here I am trying to keep people away from my wedding, and Uncle Lowell is saying, let's fill it all up. Man, he got it right. He got it right he got it right. The house needs to be full. You know, so here in Luke 14, we see that these rich and wealthy and busy people, they miss out, but the poor and the blind and the lame, they show up. So why is it that the poor or the disaffected see more easily what matters most? This is a relentless theme through the gospel of Luke. You cannot read Luke's gospel and come away thinking anything other than The poor and the marginalized have a special place in Jesus' heart. It's just simply true. Why do they catch it so easily? And there's almost two trajectories or two trend lines in these banquet stories in Luke 14. And the first is that first banquet where the person got invited downward to the more humble position. This is a downward trajectory of those of us who seek social capital. There's an upward trajectory as well. Those of us who are hurting and broken, we get called up to the master's table. So if social capital were a stock then, do you wanna buy the one that costs a lot and decreases over time? Or do you wanna buy the one which is low in value and will increase over time? Jesus offers you this choice. Where are you going to invest? In the high position or in the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame? You know, these people see the kingdom more easily because Jesus is just simply more present among them. As Psalm 34 says, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted and the contrite in spirit. They see Christ in a way without distraction. And that's point number two, I think, because they don't have those distractions and excuses that so many of us have. I say they, but I'm poor and broken in so many ways and in so many areas as well. But for those of us busy and accumulating wealth and accumulating friendship, that occludes, it blocks our way that we can see Christ clearly. But when you remove yourself from the systems of this world, you get to be called blessed in the Gospels, as Jesus so often does. And so if it's so clear, I think it's clear, right, that the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame have such a special status in the Gospels, why, why do we so often insist on keeping our tables free from the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame? Why are we so often creating spaces where people just like us, our peers in our social circles, why do our small groups consist of people just like us or people we want to learn from? Why does our church our friends, our daytimers how we spend our minutes and hours. Why are these groups who Jesus loves so absent from our spaces and from our relationships, from our investment? Why do we get tricked into being like that guy at the head of the table saying, blessed are those who will eat in the kingdom of God, people just like me and people more important than me, and miss. Blessed are those crippled, blind, poor, and lame because they see Christ in a way that we simply cannot. You know, we opened the message today talking about who would you invite if you could throw a dinner. And I want to kind of close it this morning by asking you, who would Jesus invite if he could throw a dinner? We've seen it answered here in Luke 14. We've seen who's on his guest list. It's not the high. It's not the mighty. It's not the rich. It's not the wealthy. It's not the busy. It's not those who Jesus is looking to to do something for him in return. Jesus is looking for people who understand that Jesus is everything. 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 People who see him clearly without the obstacles that this world puts between us and him. And Jesus invites all, all to come home. No reciprocation needed. No status needed. No transaction needed. All are invited. Will you come or will you make an excuse? That's the choice that he sets before us. You know, we get some tastes, some foretaste, a preview of what that kingdom of heaven will look like someday when Jesus comes and sets everything right. In this world, we get a few samples almost, a few previews. And, and we see this in the Sabbath celebration and in the wedding feasts. These preview the kingdom before it is fully come. We've seen this in Luke 14 as well, right? That, that one day per week we rest and receive from him, one day to gather in relationship to reflect on blessing and to sit In his presence, who do you invite with you to take advantage of that space? We see weddings as a gathering of family and friends to celebrate a a once-in-a-lifetime amazing thing. These images resound throughout the scripture, not just in Luke 14, but beginning to end. The kingdom is like a party. It's like a feast. It's like a wedding. It's like a celebration. Not for the food or for the wine or for the party or for the gifts or for the photos or for the status or for the likes on Instagram. Certainly not. The wedding matters because of the fellowship and the abiding joy of being with Jesus. And we also have something else, I think, that should model for us what that kingdom is like, and that's the gathered local church. I think the goal of the church is to model, to live out, to activate this transformed community. You know, so often we read a parable like Luke 14, and we know in our minds, yes, that's correct. We should seek the people who are on the outside. But we don't actually do it. We know in our mind, but we don't live it out. But the church, the kingdom that we gather with, reminds us that we are so blessed to have a seat at Jesus' table. Too often we think of ourselves as the host of that banquet, that those that we allow in are so lucky to be invited in, that those whom we give our time to are so lucky to be with us, we think we put ourselves in the seat of the banquet master and not enough in the seat of somebody so fortunate to be on the guest list. I think it's the aim of the church, the gathered body of Jesus' followers, even a church like we are here at Three Crosses, to bring the kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. So when Jesus shows us what the kingdom is like, it should be like that here. Not one day later, but now. Don't wait to heaven to model this way of social capital. Don't consume social capital for your own ends. As Jesus followers, as his disciples, it's our job to create that social capital for those in need. To create a space where everyone, everyone can experience the kingdom and the banquet and the blessing of knowing Jesus Christ face to face. So can we make our church a bit more like that Sabbath feast? Can we make our church a bit more like that wedding supper of the Lamb? That would be beautiful. So let me give you an assignment. You know, last week, Danny had you do a financial planning assignment. I'm going to give you a social planning assignment, right, based on Luke 14. So part number one, plan a party. Like, for real, if the kingdom is a celebration, what would you want at your celebration? What kind of food? What kind of gifts? What kind of games? What kind of fun? What kind of meaningful moments are you going to create at your party? What is a party designed by you to celebrate Jesus Christ going to look like? Dream about it. Right, and no party, of course, is complete without a guest list. And so, part number two use the guest list that Jesus prescribes here in Luke 14. Don't invite your friends, your peers, your rich neighbors. Invite the people who are hurting and broken and in need. Do you know somebody tired? Put them on the list. Do you know somebody hurting? Put them on the list. Do you know somebody broken? Put them on the list. Do you know somebody lonely? Put them on the list. You know, somebody who needs a meal, like doesn't know where their food is coming from, put them on the list. Put them on the list. This is what Jesus tells us to do. Invite the hurting, the broken, the blind, the lame, the weary. And then number three, don't leave it in the intellectual realm, that realm of ideas on your planning paper, throw the party. Do it. I know it's COVID, be safe and all of that, but at the same time, don't look at what you should do and then simply don't do it. If God is calling you to gather a space of the hurting and broken, gather that space. in fact, today in the lobby, we have our small groups ministry we call our life groups out there. And you can talk to AJ and our team about what it might look like to lead a group which gathers people like this, people in need who need a space to encounter Christ and to encounter one another. Maybe he's calling you to do that. Maybe that could be your party. Maybe you need a space because you're hurting and broken. Man, find a way to connect in that community so that you can receive From all of us, the riches that God has entrusted us at three crosses, both financially and socially, are untold, just magnificent. We have to be stewarding them wisely. And Jesus tells us, if you're not stewarding it towards the poor and the blind and the lame and the weary and the outcast, you're just doing it wrong. Humiliated, we will fall down the list. But if we can see blessed is the one who eats and drinks in the kingdom of God and realize that that's us, we're lucky to be at the table. And all have a space. And I think we're going to find that the kingdom has come here at Three Crosses and in the East Bay as it has in heaven. And wouldn't that be amazing? Let's pray. So, Father, we pray just like you taught us. May your kingdom come here on earth as it is in heaven. Father, give us this day our daily bread. Father, lead us not into temptation and deliver us from evil. For you are with us. And Lord God, as we look at stewarding our finances, as we look at stewarding our relationships, as we look at valuing what you value and in so doing, becoming rich like you, God, show us the way. Open our hearts, open our eyes, open our spirit that we might see the lost and the broken and the hurting in our community and realizing that that's where you are. Father, put us into position to be there too. Father, as we create hospitality, as we create spaces, as we create conversations, as we love one another, help us to love those whom you love, which is all people. Father, for those of us whose busyness and heaviness and stuff that's plaguing us in this world is blocking our ability to see you clearly, Father, would you take that away and open our eyes? Father, for those of us who are hurting and weary and broken, would you help us to remember that we have a blessed seat at your table? Father, would you provide for us? Would you heal us? Would you resurrect us? We pray in Jesus' name, amen.